All right, everybody. Well, hey, listen, welcome. Welcome to New Life. If you guys can find a seat, that'd be great. It'd be awesome. Glad you guys are here today. I know Dean already had you high five one another just to say congratulations. Um, you made it here today. But I'm going to tell you right now, this, uh, this new generation has no idea what it means when we say things like, turn, we need to turn the clock back. Because we don't do that anymore. You know, the only place you do that now is on your stove and your microwave. Uh, everywhere else, you just go to bed. Your phone wakes you up if you're like me. So I, I'm thankful for the days that we don't have to turn anything back anymore. Um, it's fine if my stove is off. My phone can't be off, though. That's just the way it goes. So uh, that's amazing. I know last night we were going to bed and my wife said, do we need to, we need to turn anything back? I go, no, honey. Our phones are smarter than us. I think they've got it covered. So... You fall asleep, you know, trusting that you've paid your cell phone bill so that Verizon wakes you up in the morning. Uh, that's kind of the way that it works. Hey, glad you guys are here today for week four uh, of four. This is our last week in Ball and Chain. Um, the Ball and Chain teaching series has been focused on marriage. If you've missed any of those, then please go back to our website. Go to newlifecarney.org and you can watch all of them. They're archived there. You can also use uh, a smartphone app or your, or your computer and you can go to livestream.com. There we have all of our sermons archived and you can watch them. There's some people that are watching this service right now live. Um, if they're homesick right now or if uh, they just realized that they are an hour late. So I want to say welcome to all of you that are watching us live right now, that uh, you are watching us on your phone or on your laptop because you didn't, uh, you don't have a cell phone evidently that said, said it for you. So it's okay. It's all right. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, so don't forget about that. You can go back and watch those things. We had a marriage seminar a couple weeks ago. We have a marriage class that just wrapped up. We've been focusing a lot of attention on marriage uh, over these past few weeks. And so if you're not married, thank you for just kind of going along in the journey with us. I hope that you have gained some valuable information uh, out of this. I hope that maybe it's God's been, uh, you've allowed God to come in and kind of rewire the DNA of your heart on who you're, who you're looking for to be your spouse, whether you're divorced or you're widowed or you're single and you're looking to get into a relationship. My, my desire was to really help, help you to avoid certain pitfalls and to really set yourself up to become all that God has for you. So, um, I, I wanted that to be clear right off the bat that this was not just for married, married people. This is for, um, all of us because obviously we're, we're teaching out of God's word and God's word says that every scripture has life for every single person. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Today, we're going to look at being one in cause. There's a lot of great people that have lived their lives for a great cause. Can you think of anybody right now, just off the top of your head, who lived their life for a great cause? If you can, just hang on to that individual for me for a minute, because my mind instantly went, and I put in my notes, guys like Martin Luther King Jr. I thought, that's a great example in our recent history of a man who lived for a great cause, even gave his life for the cause. I also think of people in our, in our recent history, like um, Mother Teresa, who ends up giving her life for, you know, street children in India and serves her life in such a way that, you know, she's not even, she again is not even with us anymore, but yet we still talk about her and we still, we still in many ways try to emulate our life after her. Um, in fact, if we see someone being what we call too good or too gracious or too nice, you might even make a cliche-ish statement to them like, wow, you're a lot like Mother Teresa. Um, you mean that in a good way. You're really jealous that you're not like that. We all know when we make statements, you're really more jealous that you wish you were more like that. So... 
people who've lived for a cause. Even, even I flash back to Abraham Lincoln, who lived his life as a president. He did a lot of things, whether you agree with him or not, but he lived his life to abolish slavery. Um, what a great cause that he lived his life for. And there's many others that we overlook when it comes to living their life for a, for a great cause. Um, people such as our missionaries that we support here at this church. We have a lot of great missionaries that we support that are all around the world. And one of them we've taken a few trips to in India, just talking about Mother Teresa, Tim and Carla Shamala. These guys are great missionaries that are over living in India and they're, they're planting churches, they're creating ministry, um, they're providing schooling opportunities, they're helping women find jobs, they're helping men find jobs, they're buying land and planting churches, they're doing a school for kids. We've sent a couple of different teams over there. We have one of our own, Deborah Sizer, who is over there as well, um, serving as a missionary associate. So we have great missionaries who are living for a great cause even today. Um, I also think back to uh, the founding pastor of this church. His name is Ellie Wilkins. Um, his son, or his grandson, Bart Wilkins, is a great friend of mine who him and I co-pastored together in Omaha and planted some churches there. But uh, Ellie Wilkins, the founding pastor of this church, not only was he the founding pastor of the church, so that means he helped to really plant it right after a tent revival that took place um, of evangelists that came through. He became the pastor that took all of the fruit, gathered it together, all the people, gathered them together, and built the original building. Um, he went on to you know, help plant and birth and help other churches become healthy all throughout Nebraska. And that's a great man who lived for a great cause. And I think back to, you know, uh, Bob and Connie Wine, who spent 33 years here at this church as our lead pastors. I go, those are the types of people who live their life for a great cause. And I need you to know something today. I need this to get inside of you today, that your marriage was designed to be lived to accomplish a great cause. Your marriage is something that's, that should equal the examples that we gave. Your marriage has that kind of potential. Your marriage has the potential to have a great cause, a God-created cause just for you. But the problem, the problem is this. The problem is that we don't see our marriages as existing for something, for something great. We don't see our marriages as having anything to really give, right? Our marriages seem like they just struggle to survive. Much less give life away? Give something productive away that's beyond just the two of us? You know, we don't purposefully invest into our marriages enough that cause us to have a like a, a bank account of wealth, of health, to be able to give anything. And if we do believe that our marriage is designed, you know, to give something great or to do something that's beyond us, then we, we often get sidetracked. And we get sidelined and we get distracted and we end up focusing on other things. You need to know today that your marriage wasn't designed to simply exist. Your marriage isn't designed just to simply just be there. Just to exist in some legal document. Marriage isn't something that you survive, by the way. Right? It's not like, it, that's just, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Like run into somebody that, you know, goes, we've been married, we, we survived the last 40 years together. 
Well, really, survived the last 40 years. How about, how about you enjoyed the last 40 years together? You know? Wouldn't you rather have 40 years you enjoyed together than 40 years you survived together? Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of living one in cause. I don't want you just to survive. I don't want you just to religiously stand up and boast about the fact that you have 40 years of marriage. Because if they're not healthy 40 years, then does the 40 years really matter? No. It doesn't at all. You want 40 years or 50 or 60 years or whatever it is of marriage that with joy in your heart, you go, I had the privilege of being married for that long. I had the joy of being married for that long. I had a cause that we were fighting together for that long. And by God's grace, as long as we're still married and we still have breath, our marriage still has a purpose to it. So your marriage was, wasn't designed just to simply exist. But let's flash back to the last few weeks. But when your marriages aren't communicating, week one, and when we aren't resolving conflict, week two, and when we have a breakdown in commitment, week three, then we don't see our marriage being the gift to the world that God really made it for. So God's cause for your marriage is to impact the world in a powerful way. And that's a huge benefit to you. Your marriage, to live one in cause, is very much the same same concept as like a weld. If you've ever done any welding in the room, is there anybody that's done any welding in the room? Let me hear you. That's what I thought. I thought it would be kind of that, that deeper voice. All right. So if let's just practice that one more time, right? If you've done if you've done any welding in the room, let me hear your voice. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. All right. Good. Thank you. All right. There are, there are some women that in here that have done some welding. Good job. Good job. Right. There you go. Um, and we're not talking hot glue gun welding, by the way. We're not talking craft welding, um, by the way. All right, that's not that doesn't count. All right, but we're talking metal to metal. When you melt two pieces of metal together, if you do it correctly, do you, do you realize that the weld can actually become stronger than the metal itself? And when you live one in cause, the weld, the thing that you become welded to, your spouse. Can actually be, that, that joint can become stronger than the individual themselves. That's what God's wanting to do in your life if you want to live one in cause. So to live one in God's cause requires you to be on the same page. Could you imagine trying to build a house or for that matter, trying to build a high rise building and having two different sets of blueprints? Could you imagine what the thing would end up looking like? One crew's working on one floor, another crew's working on the basement. I mean, the thing would just look, it would look horrible. You have to have the same set of blueprints. You have to be on the same page. And unity is essential to accomplish the mission in your marriage. And the Apostle Paul, he, he speaks about this unity piece to the church, but he also is speaking this as a general statement of truth, which can apply to your marriage in, in, um, to the church in Philippi, look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy, worthy of the good news about Christ. He says, Then, whether I come and I see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with, watch this, ready? Standing together with what? One spirit and one purpose. Look, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. 
This is what Paul is striving to tell, to tell us, to help us understand that unity in the church is the very same thing that we have to have in, in our marriage. We have to have unity in our marriage. And to do that, you have to stand together with one heart, with one spirit, with one purpose, and yes, fighting together. That's not, that's not this kind of fighting, though. It's not, oh, you mean fighting's healthy. No, that's not what he means. Fighting together, like being on the same team. Fighting together for God's cause in your marriage. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're living for. And if that's what we're living for, if that's what God's called us to do, then guess what? You've got an adversary. His name is Satan, and he wants to do everything he can to cause you to not stand together, to not fight for one cause, God's cause in your marriage. He wants to do everything he can. And there's three classic things that I watch him do over and over and over again that cause us to get our legs cut out from underneath us, and we no longer stand one in cause. Let me just tell you about these Three simple little things that you need to work on to be on the same page. The the first thing would be that you have to live with a Christ-centered living. You have to have Christ-centered living. Um, Back in the Old Testament, one of the leaders of God's people who actually led them into the promised land right after Moses, his name was Joshua. And Joshua was a man of great faith. Joshua was a man who trusted God in amazing ways. Joshua was a man who took a band of people that wavered from trusting God to, um, you know, not trusting God to worshiping God to worshiping other idols to people that, you know, marched around the walls of Jericho and saw the walls crushed down. But then they also end up doing extremely foolish things. So Joshua was their leader. And towards the end of Joshua's uh, leadership, he says these powerful words to his people. Take a look at what he says in Joshua chapter 24. It says, if you refuse to serve the Lord, um, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you now live? And then listen to these powerful words. But as for me and my family, we'll do what? We will serve the Lord. Joshua was a man that no matter what was in front of him, No matter what riches were put in front of him, no matter what fame was put in front of him, no matter how much success he had, he wasn't about to bend for himself and for his family. He was going to be one in cause with God. He was going to live God's cause out for his family. And he said, no matter what comes our way, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We have to, we have to put You know, all these other idols out of the way. For some of us, you know, we're not being able to live one in cause because our free time is getting in the way. We we need more time for us or our work is getting in the way. Or, you know, even other things such as family is getting in the way. The extended family, you're allowing the extended family to get in the way of the immediate family of which God's called you to lead and to to be the first and foremost in your life. Here on this earth, their hobbies, our sports, or even the pursuit of finances and money has gotten in the way. And those things no longer allow you to say like Joshua that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because with conviction, you can't say it. Guilt, guilt will override that because you know in your heart there are other things that have become God for you. And just like Joshua challenged his people to put Christ back into the center of their living, that's the same thing I want to do for you. And it's the same thing that Kim and I, we've tried to live our lives with Christ 
at the center. And we've got that example from our parents first. So parents, don't ever forget the model that you're, you're laying down for the next generation. Kim and I wanted to serve God and we wanted to have a healthy marriage because we looked at our parents and we saw the best in them. We saw their flaws. As you, the older you get, you see the flaws. You don't degrade your parents for the flaws. You just realize nobody's perfect. But you grabbed a hold of the best and you wanted to live that way. But that alone is not enough. We also had to have conviction of the Holy Spirit that said, you want to live for me, right? We felt the Holy Spirit saying, you want to obey me, right? And we were like, yes, that's what we want to do. And so some things that I want to encourage you with, things that Kim and I did in our marriage to help help keep Christ at the center was we made Sunday worship a priority. You here today, I'm speaking to the choir You know, of all Sundays, this is the Sunday when people don't make it. So I know I'm speaking to the choir. Keep Sunday as a priority in your marriage. Encourage and model prayer and Bible reading between each other. It's encouraging. Um, Last night when I was finishing up a couple of thoughts um, on my laptop and I was sitting in a chair that my wife typically sits in um, up in our our living room and I look over on the nights, not the nightstand, but the... uh, the, the, the side table where the lamp is at and there's her bible and on top of her bible are these three by five cards with some scriptures written on them and i saw that when i went to turn turn the light out and the thought runs through my mind i was encouraged and inspired by the fact that my wife was writing those scriptures down writing them down to try to memorize them that's that that caused me to to turn the light out and just kind of go I, i'm getting ready to go to bed but that was a great feeling on the inside just to look at that And I've watched her sit in that chair and read her Bible. You know, and I've listened to her pray. Those are encouraging and inspiring. It's not about being a pastor and you do this professionally. It's about living it out authentically. And do that with one another. It helps to keep Christ at the center. Repent of your faults and do that quickly. Repent to each other. That helps keep Christ at the center. It helps to you know, get those wedges out of the way that are trying to separate the two of you. Hold each other accountable to godly living. When I am off the chart, when I jump off the page of Christ-centered living, guess who's the very first one to remind me of that? Now I realize for some of you, you might feel like that's a thorn in your side. It is a blessing. It's a blessing to have a spouse that's willing to help hold you accountable when you're drifting. And if you're a guy in this room, I'm just telling you, you drift. And we drift all too often. I know we're called to be the spiritual leaders of our homes, but we can get off track quick with our attitude, with our temper, with our anger, with our desires, with all of a sudden we have this thing we want to go spend a bunch of money on. (laughs) You know, like we've got to have it, like now. All right, we need help. All right, we need a wife that's going to help us. And so, honey, thank you for doing that. I hope I'm doing the same thing for you. But above all, if you want to keep Christ at the center, Christ has to be the center of your life. How can you, how can you say to your spouse, well, I want Christ to be the center of our marriage, when you're unwilling to let Christ be the center of your life? That's where it starts. Let Christ be the center of your life first. And from there, let Christ become the center of of your marriage. So Satan wants to get in and he wants to put some other God ahead of 
the one true living God. Because if he does that, then he derails your marriage and you stop living for God's cause and you start living for your cause. But that's not the only place where he tries to attack. He also attacks with kids. If you have kids, then you remember, man, when, when your kids were first born, what an excitement, right? And then about three months, six months into the thing, you're like, will this kid ever sleep through the night? Then they started sleeping through the night. And then you were wondering, will they ever, ever stop? You know, why, can I get away from diapers? Is that going to be possible? Is that ever going to, will they stop dropping food on the floor? I mean, you just go through this cycle and then you're standing there one day and they're graduating from high school and you're weeping like a baby and you're going, it was just like yesterday, yesterday you were so little, but you forget all about the pain of when they were little. It just, wham, it just goes by quick. Our children are amazing blessing, but God, but, and that's what God designed them for. Satan also wants to use this amazing blessing to be something that trips up your cause of what you're fighting for. Proverbs 22 says this about kids. It says, start, um, start children off on the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, that doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect. You can't throw this kind of scripture around and go, well, I can't believe that they went off the deep end. You know, I thought I trained them in the way that they should go. Well, every person has their own personality and every person has free will. Every person gets to choose whether they're going to serve God or not serve God. All right. So it's not a reflection necessarily of your parenting. It's a reflection of their free will. So our kids aren't always going to be perfect. All right. But what we can't do is we can't afford to send our kids mixed signals. If you're sending your kids mixed signals between you and your spouse, then you're really going to be tripping them up. You're definitely not leading them in the way that they should go. They don't really know which way to go. Follow mom or follow dad. Who's nicer of the two? So we can't send them mixed signals. This was something that Kim and I worked hard on. We have four kids. We had to stay on our toes to stay together, to stay united, all right? We didn't always get it perfect, but we definitely strove for this, especially when it comes to discipline. When it comes to discipline, you gotta be on the same page. You gotta have one another's back, right? If one, if one of the spouses says one thing, then you both have gotta be on the same page. You gotta be leading in the same direction or otherwise you're gonna play good cop, bad cop. You had your kids try to play good cop, bad cop with you? Well, I think dad will say no to this, so I'm gonna go ask mom first. Right? That's instantly telling, what does your kid know? You're not on the same page. You're not going the same direction. Oh, by the way, you could be, and they'll still try it. But when they start getting the same answer out of mom that they get out of dad, puts the kibosh on those types of things, and they instantly know you're on the same page, going the same direction. That helps solidify your cause. But to do that, you've got to develop a plan for discipline. All right? Kim was the warner in our marriage. She warned. You don't want to do that again. You do that again, dad's going to be home. And when dad gets home, he's going to find out, and then you know what dad will do. You're going to get the discipline and you're going to get the follow through. And so when I got home, my wife, she had those first minutes with me. And in those first minutes, she was able to tell me what happened that day. And one of the things might be, you got to take care of your son because he's out of control today. Um, he, he's done this, this, and this. I warned him. And right now he's waiting for you in his bedroom. <laughs> you remember those days waiting for your dad or you're waiting for your dad in the bedroom or my dad used to send me to his bedroom. Just go there and sit. 
And like, it's as if he prepped it beforehand because he would have the like sliding glass door to the closet open and you could see all of his belts coiled up like snakes up there. And he would just sit there and stare at them and go, I don't want the white belt. That one will hurt. You know, you're like, you just, it just was torture just to sit there and wait. One of the things that my dad taught me was when I was waiting, he was, him and my mom many times were talking. And they were consoling with one another to find out what's going to be the best approach to this scenario. Being on the same page. You have to have integrity as well with discipline. If you say it, you better follow through. If you don't, if you don't follow through with what you're saying, so don't say something you can't follow through. Don't make idle threats to your children. That's not helping you to stay one on cause with God. Alright? Don't do it. If, if you, if you've got action that needs to be taken, make sure that when you say it, you follow through. You know, another piece with our kids is you're the leader, not them. To love them by creating firm boundaries. The boundaries that are appropriate. Boundaries that have the proper expectations. Don't hang nooses around your kids' necks of things that they can't accomplish. Things that, you know, that they're, they're always going to be failing at. Don't, don't set your kids up for failure. Set your kids up for success, but put appropriate boundaries around them. Your kids are going to come to you and they're going to tell you that boundary that you set, that rule that you set, it's not fair. No one else's parents set those kinds of rules. They're going to try that, right? They're going to do it. Our kids did. Our kids did it. Like as an example, you, you weren't allowed in our family, um, you weren't allowed to have someone else over to the house if you asked with them right in front of you. Like at church. You know, they would come up to me with their friend and they would say, hey, dad, hey, dad, can, can, can a Julie come over, you know, to the house this afternoon or tonight and hang out and play? And I would always go, nope, sorry. You're not, don't come up to me and ask with your friend there. Those were simple little rules. Um, you, you're not allowed, as an example, uh, in my family, you weren't allowed to go to someone else's house if I didn't know their parents. So I didn't let my kids go to, go to other people's homes. Even if they went to school with them. It didn't matter. You're not going to go to their house unless I know their parents. So at every school event, my kids were taking me up to their, their friends' parents, introducing me, making sure that I met their parents and so that I knew them. They would find ways for me to meet their parents so that they could go to their house. Here, here was another little example that our kids told me. It's not fair. No one else's parents do this. We made our kids, if they want to drive... We go help them get a driver's license, but if they want to drive, they got to pay for their own insurance. Because I felt like, I'll help you with other things, but you got to pay for your own insurance. Because if you pay for your own insurance, then when you're out there and you're thinking about driving crazy, like you're going to get my car in a wreck, you know that, you know whose insurance is going to go up. Yours, not mine. Right? If you're out there and you want to speed all over town and get speeding tickets, you just know your cost for driving goes up, not mine. And so those were things that, that we did that our, our kids said, those are unfair, but we took the lead on them. We didn't let them tell us what to do. We got out there and we said, this is who we're going to be. And so to do that meant that I had to learn how to say no. You can say no to your kids and still be loving, by the way. Just practice it right now. Turn to the person next to you and say no. All right? Just try it. It's possible. Just because your kids ask for it doesn't mean you have to give it to them every time. And you're going to have to risk relationship to keep to, to, to speak truth. I've told you that before. I mean it with all my heart. There are moments that I sat down with my kids and I looked at them and I said, I'm going to risk all of our relationship to challenge you with this. I know that you might hate my guts after this, 
But I'm going to tell it to you because I love you and I'm the leader and I see this and I need to deal with it. And so you put everything at risk to do that. And also raising your kids, you got to keep God first. Keep God first, especially when it comes to their schedule. That's one of the things that we strove for, keeping God first. Nothing was going to come in place of Sunday morning. Nothing was going to come in place of our Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights was the night that we, we had church events going on. And that's what we did. Well, there's a choir program happening and the choir teacher said I had to be there. Sorry. I had to literally go to this high school, sit down with the choir teacher, look her in the eye and help her understand the fact that my kid's not going to be there on Wednesday night because this is the priority of our family. That's what I did. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you we had priorities in our family and we wanted to put God first and we wanted to set an example for our kids See, when you don't put God first in your schedule, let me tell you what your kids think is first. Whatever you put in front of Him. So you can say all day long, God's first. But if your schedule doesn't reflect it, your kids are going to pick up on that. And they're going to model, they're going to model the very thing you didn't want them to model when they get older. You got to put God first there. You know what? Here's another thing we never did. Don't ever ground your kids from church. That's it. You're in trouble. You're not going to go to a youth group tonight. That's like one of the worst decisions of parenting I think you probably could come up with. Don't ground your kids from church. Don't ground your kids from the very thing that they need in their life. You might need to reprioritize where they sit when they go there on Wednesday night. You might need to restructure the way their attitude is when they go there. But don't discipline your kids by taking church and things that are Christ-centered out of their lives. Do that in a different way. So parenting... Parenting's a huge thing that, you know, you can get off page with each other. You can get your attention focused on all the problems and, you know, get the structure set up wrong and it can completely lead you off course. And you can spe- you can spin all your wheels of your marriage just trying to get that one piece right and, you- and then your marriage never becomes life-giving to the community around it. Another thing that Satan loves to use is finances. finances. Financial planning is a huge thing that he gets in the middle of because finances are one of the big things that disrupt marriages and they rip them apart. But how you're going to spend, how you're going to save, and where you're going to give. And Kim and I, what we did was we just created a budget. And then we stuck to that budget. It was a cash budget. It started off right off the top with a couple of critical things. One, savings. We saved right off the top. We didn't save after the month got over. What do we got left? Well, let's save that. Then we saved right off the top. That's what we still do today. But another major important piece that even came before savings was tithing. Tithing is putting God first in our finances. It's what I was raised with as a kid. It's what I feel the Holy Spirit convicted me of. It's something that I still do today. You might see, you might see the, the offering basket pass me by and I, and I may not drop something in there all the time. That's because I send my, I have to send my tithe to the district office. Cause I'm an ordained minister and I am by the signing of the document, I have to send my tithe there. It's part of the deal. It's part of being a pastor. But I do that with joy in my heart. I don't do it with regret. I do it because God's allowed me, He's blessed me with so much that I get a chance to give. And I want to encourage you, your kids are looking at you just like the schedule. They're looking at your finances as well, where you spend, where you invest. And they're wanting to know, is God really first in this family or is he not? And if you want to be the kind of couple that puts God first, then you're going to have to be a couple that figures out how to start tithing. And if you've never tithed before, tithe means 10%. 
But that, you could start easily with 1% and start working your way up. Start honoring God with your finances. Take a leap. Take a jump someplace. Come up with a percentage and start giving God that percentage so then you can start putting God first in your finances. But also strive to be debt-free. We have Financial Peace University, which is a great teaching tool that is happening right now that you can take. Um, It helps you learn how to live debt-free. It helps you learn how to do a few things that Kim and I have done all of our lives, which is you take your finances and you live under your finances. You don't try to live above your finances. You might make 4,000, but you try to figure out how to live on, you know, half of it, or you try to live on 3,000 of it, you know, so that you can stay debt-free. You learn how to save for things that don't need to have a loan taken out on them. You know, you don't, you don't have to take a loan out to go buy a clock for your house. That's foolish. You might have to take a loan to go buy a car. All right? You might, you probably have to take a loan to go buy a house. But you don't have to take a loan out to go buy a suit or to go buy something. You should, you should save for those types of things. And those principles have kept all of the the, the nitty gritty stuff out of our marriage and it's helped us to stay focused on living for a God cause. That's why I'm sharing these kinds of things with you. Alright? Standing together though. Remember that verse? Stand together one in spirit and one in purpose. Standing together is a lifestyle and it's a choice that you can make. Communication, week one, it helps you discover where each of you are standing on an issue. You gotta talk about it. But week two, Conflict resolution allows you to fight together for God's cause. Conflict resolution means you stop bickering and fighting this way and you start fighting together for something greater than you. You resolve the conflicts so that you can fight for something greater. That's what our church is built on as well. That's why, that's why we want to put the kibosh on things that bring disunity to our church. Because fighting inward like this It distracts our church from having the cause of fighting together for a purpose that brings people into the kingdom. Same thing about your marriage. If you're always fighting together inwardly, then you're not fighting for a cause that's greater than you. That's week two. But week three was commitment. And commitment allows you to stand together strongly. When you have a lifestyle of standing together, then then you can begin doing a great thing, which is you can live for something bigger than you. And the cause we're talking about today is something that's way bigger than you. It has an internal investment to it. It has a value to it that's beyond this world. It has something that brings spiritual transformation to others. Your marriage isn't something done just for man. Your marriage is something that you live for, for God. Colossians 3.23 says this, It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Your marriage isn't for man, it's for working for the Lord. And God wants us, He wants us to live for this cause with everything inside of us. He wants us to live with our marriage going, I want to live every moment of my life with my marriage as something that's serving unto the Lord. That's what I want to want to work as for the Lord. And that's just something that Kim and I, we, we strove to do this. To live, you know, to see this verse really come alive. We wanted to see God's kingdom advance through our marriage. We wanted to see God's kingdom advance by raising up our kids that would go off and make an impact. By, you know, being a part of ministry in a church. And we realized we had to protect, we had to protect the marriage if we wanted to be healthy in our ministry to others or in our cause to others. 
We wanted our gifts together to be used in a dynamic way that would, would come together. That's why Kim, that's why I love so, so often when Kim would lead worship and I, and I preached and we just, we just, you know, we just worked off of each other that way. And right now that's just not, this is not what God, I don't feel like God's, you know, released us to do that here. But, that's something that we enjoy, working with our gifts together. Now we do that by meeting couples and going out to coffee with people and hanging out with other, other individuals and investing into their lives. And we're doing that together. And we were doing that even with our kids. And we raised our four children with this cause in mind. We raised them inside of this cause, giving our lives for something that's bigger than us. Serving the kingdom of God. Putting the kingdom of God first. I'm telling you, we didn't waste anything and we don't regret a single moment putting God's kingdom ahead of earthly gain. God's given us all kinds of earthly gain because we put his kingdom ahead of ourselves. We took our kids along with us even when they were toddlers. We brought them along. We didn't force our kids you know, to uh, believe what we believed, but we encouraged them in a way that they could discover truth for themselves and we could help coach them along the way. You know, we encourage them to find their place in our marriage. We encourage them to find their place in our family and figure out how God brought them along to help us accomplish something as a family unit. And in the end, we included them in major decisions about where we would move and where we would go. And when we did make those moves, we always had them as a part of praying about that with us. And it's sometimes even helping to make critical decisions when there are a few options on the table. And today I have a very unique opportunity for you to see a snapshot of how has our marriage of living one in cause and doing the things I've told you and raising our kids and those kind of things, how has that really affected the next generation? And so I've got, uh, I've got my daughter Tiffany and her husband Dave that are here with us today. I'm going to invite them to come up. I want to ask them just a couple of questions, all right? Would you guys please welcome them here? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for being here, guys. Glad you guys can make it. You guys uh, are living in Omaha, and uh, you decided to uh, come out here this weekend, and uh, I got the opportunity then to, uh, to interview you. So I appreciate that. Thank you for allowing me to do that. That's awesome. Um, I got a couple questions for you. Tiffany, um, describe what life was like growing up in our home um, that was really driven to fulfill God's cause for our family. What was that like growing up in a home like that? Um, well, I think about my childhood, and I, I have tons of, obviously, great memories, but many of those memories take place in the church that we were ministering in or attending, like churches in Alaska or even New Life here when we first came here, um, and sleeping on the pews when you and mom were doing worship or sleeping in an office when... What? You slept on the... <laughs> worship practice. Oh, worship um, practice, yeah. Yeah. Just joking. I know, I know. <laughs> sleeping in the office while you were in a meeting or attending youth group way before we were even youth in the youth group and just always being a part of it and going along and um and I just have all those great memories and it and I really appreciate it and I'm proud of that in the way that I grew up and always being a part of it bigger than it was bigger than me and bigger than our family and mm. I realized that and was able to develop my own faith and my own relationship with Christ because of 
the way that I was raised and just going along. And I was always a part of it, mission trips and yeah. youth group and all those things. You know, what was it like, though, you know, having, because uh, when your marriage is living for something that's bigger than even just your family, then you're going to be giving some of your time away to others. You know, how did that, how did that affect you when, you know, we would give time away to others when, you know, here you were, you were our kids. Did, did you ever resent that or what yeah. happened? I don't think I resented it because um, we were always doing it together. And so even though we weren't at home spending time together, we were always out doing something together. The ministry we were serving in together, we were always with each okay. other. All right. Yeah, that's fair enough. So Dave, um, as Tiffany's husband, how have you uh, seen the impact of her childhood on her adult life? Yeah, um, we met about six years ago, and I remember when we first started talking, we were texting back and forth, just getting to know each other. And there was one day I'd just gotten back to my apartment. I was sitting on the floor after working out, doing some stretching, and I had texted Tiffany and asked her, you know, what are your goals in life? Where do you see yourself in five years or whatever? And she sent back this text that just said, I don't really know. I just want to follow whatever God has for me. And it quite literally floored me. I remember like laying on the floor for like 15 minutes before I texted back, just thinking like, that's really an incredible response to that. It wasn't, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and all of these dreams that were her own. But it was really just, I'm going to follow whatever God has for me. Right and on. so that, that was really impactful to me um, very early on in our um, relationship, and then I've just seen her live that out over the last number of years. Right, right. So how has it affected your marriage? Well, it's brought us together. Um, we're not out doing things um, on our own with our own motives. Um, we typically do a lot of serving together. Um, a lot of our conversations, just sitting, you know, having dinner or whatever, are centered around Christ, and, and really the decisions that we make are all based on our faith. Yeah. And and we really try to allow Jesus to be in every area of our lives and not just something we're doing on a Sunday morning. Right on. And what and what other ways would you say that you guys you guys strive together that passage said to stand together. And so in what ways do you strive to stand together for God's cause for you now um, in your marriage? Um like our our finances we, Dave's the nerd. If you've done Financial Peace University, he's the nerd. So he sits down and, and um, does our budget, and then we get together and we talk about it and um, get to share, like, how we feel about the budget. And so I feel like being one in our finances, and that has really helped us just I don't, through, throughout our marriage and just um, being one and on the same page with our finances and having the same goals. So. I think also um, we're one in cause in that um, when we've had worship practices or uh, if we've had other meetings and things like that, we don't get upset with each other. We realize that we're pouring into something that's bigger than just the two of us. And so um, we don't necessarily try to kind of take our time and keep it for ourselves, uh, but we're very understanding um, and, and really motivated and inspired when we're, when we're you know, involved in those activities that are bigger than us too yeah yeah well now though you guys are just the two of you now you have a six-month-old you know little boy milo um who's on the screen right um how it's this changes this a game changer so how are you planning on you know raising your own children then 
Well, Milo will be sleeping on the pews during worship practice. Um, no, he, we bring him along to everything, and we are still serving in worship and, um, and at Flatland where site leaders there, and he comes along and does everything. Now, it's not always convenient, and it's not always easy, but we want to set the example that we, we are a family that's going to be serving, and you're coming along with us, and we want you to make it a priority also. Yeah. Yeah, well, we think that it's, it's one thing to teach your child about Christ, but it's another thing to allow them to take an active role in serving Christ, and we figure that's the best way. I mean, it, it's so important to us that Milo learns and, and grows up to follow Christ, but we know we can't force him to, to have that faith, that it's something that he's going to have to choose for himself. But we want to give him the opportunity to see what um, healthy faith is like and, and um, kind of the adventure that God will take you on if you're willing to go. Right on. Right on. I love it, guys. Thanks for uh, being here this weekend and for sharing a little bit from the past and the present. I'm proud of you guys. And um, I'm really excited to see God's cause lived out in you. All right. Thanks for being here. Thank you. never too late for you in your marriage to start living for a cause that's bigger than you. It's never too late. You might feel like you've wasted a lot of years, but today is a day where, by God's grace, there can be a, a reset uh, that, can, that can be set in your life, and, and you can start living for something bigger than you, but it's really going to start by you personally making Christ the center of your life. That's where it starts. You're going to hear me say that Sunday after Sunday, year after year, making Christ the center of your life is where it starts. That's where you first have to take the leap and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the leader of my life. But then in your marriage, then in your marriage, you can take these next few moments as we worship together just to say, God, I want you to, I want you to be the center of our marriage. God, I want to live for a cause. I want our marriage to make an impact on both our children, our grandchildren. But it's beyond that. I want our, I want our marriage to make an impact on my church. I want my marriage to make an impact on my community. I want you to use it as a, as a tool in your hand that you can fashion it and shape it and mold it so that it can make an impact on others in a spiritual sense. So today as we worship, I want you to worship God because His cause for you is more than you deserve. His cause for you in your marriage is more than you deserve. I want you to worship God with obedience today. Because it's the only way to live one in cause. If you're here today and you're like, I don't even know what my marriage exists for. I don't even know. Well, let me tell you this. Simple obedience and desire for God will always lead you to find God's cause. The simple obedience and a hunger and a desire for Him will always lead you there. So today, as we spend these next few moments in worship, I want you to come with that heart. God, I don't deserve to be used for anything great, but I know that you want to do it. So help me find that place. And God, I come to you today with simple obedience. I just want to be led by your Holy Spirit. So would you stand with me as we pray today? So Father, we, we know that your plan and your purpose for our life is something that's greater than what we can know on our own. That, Lord, your desire for us is bigger, it's more broad, it's, it's in color when we see our marriage many times in black and white. And so, Lord, we want you to speak into our hearts, give us faith, encourage us to believe for something beyond what we can see right now. 
Lord, there's some marriages that are in turmoil right now. But Lord, you have a dream and a desire for them that's way beyond anything they see. But we've got marriages in this room that say we've been healthy for 40 years. But when they consider the fact, well, what does that mean? What have I given? How has my marriage been used to advance the kingdom of God? But it it feels like the answer to that is shallow. But you want to take marriages and make them healthy. And you want to build healthy ministry on top of that. You want to build your kingdom on healthy marriages. You want to model to this world what it means to love you by the way we love one another. Let our marriages at New Life be marriages that live for a cause greater than us. May we be united in it. May you give us a dream and a desire that's beyond what we have now to go accomplish something. To go accomplish something that advances your kingdom together. We ask you to do that in us and through us. And as we worship, may you speak to us, may you inspire us, and may you encourage us in Jesus' name.